I would say a word of appreciation to our music staff and our choristers. Uh, you'll notice in our worship this morning, a lot of the music has a distinctly Hebrew flavor to it, and uh, that is by design. Because we're going to be looking at uh, what's going on among Jewish people this week with the beginning of the High Holy Days and Rosh Hashanah, which starts on Friday, Yom Kippur, which will follow 10 days later. And many of the elements in worship to get today beyond the music, but the prayers we've used, uh, even the prayer preparation on the front of your bulletin, the prayer of confession, the prayer for illumination that Irwin used, and uh, shortly a prayer prior to the meditation, all have been extracted from Jewish liturgies. So let us listen again for the Word of God. This comes from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, from chapter 10, these select verses. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, See, God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying this, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see that the day is approaching. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us again look to God in prayer. O oh Lord, standing before your word at the beginning of a new year, we renew the ancient covenant, speaking again the words of our ancestors, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Our God and God of our ancestors, we thank you for your Torah, your word, our priceless heritage, May the portion we have read today inspire us to do your will and to seek further knowledge of your word. And thus our minds will be enriched and our lives endowed with purpose. May we take to heart your laws by which we can truly live. Happy are those who love you and delight in fulfilling your commandments. Amen. As I mentioned previously, beginning at sundown this coming Friday, September the 18th, Jewish people around the world will enter what is called the High Holy Days 
a very sacred time in Judaism. Two of the most special events take place. Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of a new year. And this year, new year will be not 2021, but in Judaism, this will be the year 5,781. So Rosh Hashanah has been celebrated for a long time. These are the high holy days. It would be like Christians celebrating Christmas and Easter within 10 days of each other. Uh, so it's a very, very special and sacred time among Jewish people ar around the world. It's a solemn time of penitence, of self-examination, of judgment. And it ha happens in the fall of the year, in the autumn of the year, at the time of the festival and the harvest season. And the words of these ancient liturgies create a mood of personal introspection and individual judgment. Faithful Jews are asked annually at the end of one year and the beginning of another to look at where they've been, what they've done, how they've been faithful or faithless, and to look ahead. What do they intend to be and do in the year ahead? It is a time for forgiveness, seeking the forgiveness of God for their sins and shortcomings, and also seeking the forgiveness of other people that they have wronged in the course of the year. So it is a time for reconciliation with God and reconciliation with their neighbor. And it is the beginning of a new year. Now personally and professionally, it seems to make a lot of sense to me to kind of begin the year in the fall of the year. I guess this goes back for me because this is when school started every year. And so you just automatically thought that in the fall is when the new year begins. Now I know that's not true on the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, the new year actually starts first Sunday of Advent. But I think even most Christians don't regard that as the beginning of the year uh, in their own private lives. Uh, the calendar year starts January 1, of course. Many people in business and industry look at July the 1st as their fiscal year, so they think of that as the beginning of the year, perhaps. But for those of us who are employed by or somehow active in the life and work of the Christian church, it's no mistaking that everything kicks off and begins in the fall of the year. Churches call this rally day, they call it kickoff Sunday, they call it a lot of different things, but among the things that take place is that we commission for the coming year teachers and leaders in the life and work of the church. Uh, we learn of the various opportunities for service and growth that we can sign up for. It's also the time ordinarily for stewardship, where again we look at the past year, how we have been faithful with what God has entrusted to us, what we intend to do in the coming year in terms of investing our time and talents and treasures in the work of the kingdom. But it's a time for fresh and renewed and vital discipleship. Where have we been? Where are we going? And what do we resolve to do? I believe our Jewish forebears were really onto something symbolic and significant to see the beginning of the year in the autumn of the year. The liturgy, and even the world of nature with its falling leaves reminds us that there is a divine rhythm to life itself, a time to be born and a time to die, a time for looking back and taking stock, a time for looking ahead 
in planning your commitments and your life. The days of awe for Jewish people allow them to do that. And I think we can benefit from this as people of faith today. It is an appropriate concern of ours as also to look back and assess and to look forward and plan and vow what we intend to do going ahead. Now for the Jew, no sound is so symbolic of these sacred days as the sound of the shofar. Played better in synagogues than what you heard it this morning. But this is sacred. It is a call to people to wake up an alarm clock. Leave your lit, uh, lethargy. Look at the prayer on the front of the bulletin, a prayer in preparation for Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, for two days, there will be 100 trumpet blasts symbolizing the beginning of the new year, calling people to wake up and get ready, to confess, to repent, to turn around. You can remember three R's. You remember, remember your life as lived, repent of the wrongs you have done, and return to your God. Those are three things that we as people of Christ, uh, Christ ought to have in our minds as we begin this new year in the life and work of our congregation. The sounding of the shofar celebrates many things in Judaism. It celebrates the creation of the world, the creation of Adam and Eve. It is reminiscent and celebratory of the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of Abraham of Isaac and how God provided at the right moment a ram that could be sacrificed instead of Isaac. It is a cry on occasion for people, God's people, to go into battle. There are times when battles had to be fought for the preservation of the faith. And it stirs the soul of Jewish people to hear the blowing, the sounding of the shofar. I guess it's a little similar to how Scottish people react to the playing of bagpipes. Kind of stirs your soul. Bagpipes, like the shofar, are war music or used in battle and can also be used to play a lament. So the shofar blows a hundred times on Rosh Hashanah. And then finally, on the day of Yom Kippur, there is one long, mournful blast of the shofar, indicating that your sins have been forgiven. So this season, these high holy days, are a time of solemn and serious investigation, repentance, commitment. But it's not necessarily somber. And one Talmudic reference says that people should approach this time with confidence and hope because they should be assured that God is a God of steadfast love and is anxious to forgive and restore his people. And that should not be forgotten. We should know even as we confess that sins confessed are sins forgiven that sins confessed are sins forgotten. Now if you listen carefully to the passage that I read from Hebrews 10, and you can read the whole of it later, but you may understand why it is no longer necessary, at least, for us as Christians to celebrate all the rites and rituals of Judaism and of the Old Covenant uh, spelled out in the Hebrew Scriptures. While the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament served a valid purpose in their time, 
we tend to believe as Christians that, that they were pointing forward to a time that was to come when a greater truth was to be revealed. There were symbols and types and images and all of these rites of Judaism that point to the coming of Christ, to him whose blood would be shed and upon whom the sins of the people would be placed rather than the scapegoat the on Yom Kippur that is sent out into the wilderness with the sins of the people bearing the sins of the people our scapegoat is the crucified and risen Christ who bore our sins and the sins of humanity on the cross so the ceremonies of Judaism make use of tangible and visible images which point to Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the best hopes and dreams of the people of Israel but while all of this is true while we need not celebrate Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur these uh, events in Judaism I think as we as people of faith would be well served to remember the spirit of this season and how it applies to our life and wake and work I believe we would benefit ourselves from some days of awe, if you will, and at least recover the mood of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I think we need to recover what it means to be in the presence, to stand in the presence of a holy God who has clear expectations for God's people. By and large, I think our generation has lost a sense of awe in the presence of God. We speak so much in the church today, and rightly so, of God's mercy and love and forgiveness uh, that we forget sometimes that this God is also the sovereign God of the universe, the judge of the universe, who will demand an accounting from all people on earth in terms of the lives they have lived, the prayers they have prayed, the deeds they have done, the desires and drives that have governed their days. I think, frankly, we are guilty somewhat in our generation of domesticating God, of speaking so much of his love and grace and forgiveness that we almost make of him a kindly old doting grandfather who pampers and spoils his children. It's not too hard on them. The scriptures and the days of all remind us of the other side of the coin, that this is a holy God. To be in God's presence is to be filled with awe and right fear and respect. And if it was considered an offense to God to take lightly his laws, how much more egregious is it to take lightly the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and for me? During these days of awe, beginning with Rosh Hashanah, faithful Jews are called to remember the creation the creation of Adam and Eve in particular, to remember and confess their own sins, to be reconciled to God and to neighbor, to examine more closely the caliber of their own life of faith, to remember the past vows that have been broken and new vows that will be made for the coming year. And they know that their own future as well as the future of the world will somehow be shaped in light of the decisions and the promises they make. So that's what our Jewish friends will be going through in the coming days. And you can wish them a happy new year. You can ask uh, or wish for them that they may be inscribed 
with a good year. That is one of the greetings for Rosh Hashanah. And it's a proper to extend that greeting. Hebrews 10.31 says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Other versions of the New Testament say it is a terrifying thing. It is an awful thing as in terms of filled with awe. So even though we won't be celebrating Rosh Hashanah ourselves, I think it is a time for us as a congregation and as individual members of this flock or of whatever flock you're a member of to think soberly and seriously as autumn comes upon us once again what we intend to do in the year ahead and how we can do better than perhaps we have done in the past. What will be the caliber of our discipleship? How has that discipleship been compromised over the past year? Has Jesus Christ really been the Lord of our lives? I mean, the entirety of our lives. Has Jesus Christ been the Lord of our financial life, our family life, our marriage? Has Jesus Christ been the Lord of our political life in these days of politics? Do we subject our views and our values to Jesus Christ? Or do we intend only to support what suits our own interests? And not only what will we be saying to God and promising God in these days as we kick off a new year in the life of this congregation, but what do we tend to do differently? Not just to say. I thank Irwin for reading from Isaiah 58. This is a passage that's read practically every Rosh Hashanah in Judaism. And it reminds God's people in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant that the real evidence for repentance and returning to God is not so much the words we speak, however pious they may be, or the prayers we pray, no matter how extended they may be, or even our fervent promises or our elaborate fasting, if you will, but rather the evidence of our repentance and return to God is sacrificial and compassionate service to the world to remove the shackles of those who are oppressed by all the various oppressors in life. That is our calling. That was the calling of God's people in the Old Testament. It is still the calling of God to us. And one of the neat things about combining the celebration of a new year with the celebration of the creating of humanity is I heard a rabbi talk one time about how this is a time for being recreated in the image of God. It's a time when we can make commitments so that we will be our better selves in the year before us. What decisions are you going to make? What promises are you going to make? to God as we enter this, this, this season in the life and work of our church and more importantly than what you're going to say what do you intend to do how would you be more involved in worship in spiritual growth as a person of faith in service to the world about you in fellowship among God's people I think it's real possible for us to use this pandemic as an excuse for not taking seriously much of our faith This pandemic should not affect our worship, our service, our growth, or even our fellowship. I know it impacts it 
but it shouldn't determine it. Many people are upset because they can't be in this beautiful sacred space for worship. But if our worship depends upon being in this space, then we have what some may call an edifice complex. We are making an idol of our building. And we don't need to allow the pandemic to separate us from taking advantage of the wonderful opportunities our Christian formation people have made available for us. There are so many ways you can study and grow using the resources of the church virtually and otherwise. There's so much you can still do in the community in service to Christ through various organizations, including the church. I'm so thrilled that we still have Hot Dish and Hope on Tuesday and Thursday evening. It's a concrete way we make a difference for God in this community. And even in fellowship, that's perhaps the biggest challenge to us because we have to be physically distanced and should be physically distanced in order to protect our people. But it doesn't mean you have to give up on fellowship. It means you just need to try new things, perhaps. I wonder if everyone listening today would just pick up the phone this afternoon and call two people that you've missed seeing. Just tell them that you've missed them and tell them what they mean to you. Blame it on me. Say the preacher said to call two people and you're one I'm calling. But we can do a lot in terms of fellowship and support of one another without being physically present. And we should use this season to take advantage of that opportunity. Let us look to God in prayer. O Lord, our God, a new year in the life and work of the church looms before us this morning, and we enter it by your grace. It is a wonderful opportunity for fresh and creative and vital discipleship for each of us. With your people of old, enable us to reflect upon the ways we have lived and served in the past, to repent of the wrongs we have done and the vows we have broken, and to renew our fervent intention and great desire to live more faithfully and obediently in the days to come. Lord, forgive what we have been, amend what we now are, and by your grace determine what we shall become in the new year before us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.